Hi, Shannon Waller here, and welcome to Team Success. Today, I am very excited to talk to my friend, Daniel Hammond, who's also a client, about his new book, which we'll describe. It's it's a new version of an older book, which is pretty exciting, called Customer Driven Leadership. And I am all about leadership. I'm also all about things being customer driven. So when I had this opportunity, I was like, yes, this is a much needed perspective in the world. This is the legacy edition, how to win with entrepreneurial servant leadership, responsiveness to client data, and constant creativity. Yes to all the things. So Daniel, thank you so much for joining me today. And I'm excited about this conversation. I am very excited as well, Shannon. Looking forward to it. Awesome. Well, we had a blast before we hit record on this, describing how similar we are in terms of all the profiles. (laughs) We're both kind of profile junkies, and we share a lot of the same Clifton strengths, a lot of the same motivations in life and what we're up to. So it is really a pleasure to be hanging out with you with such a kindred spirit. So much appreciated for that. I'm sure we'll bring some of that fun and levity (laughs) to the conversation. But before we jump in to the bigger conversation. I'd love to know, how did this project, this book get started and your involvement with really your co-author, which is Dr. Ted D. Anders. So how did this project come to be? I'm, I'm very curious. Yep, so in 2015, my wife and I said yes to a priest that had a nursing school that wasn't up to code. And so she needed a new school because the government was threatening to shut her down. And we said yes, not having any idea how we were going to make that money or any of that. But we found amazing partners along the way. And one of them was Dr. Ted Anders. It's an amazing story of connection. But really, for the next five years, we just were volunteers in this project. And we weren't really working in our unique ability at all. But when we finished the project, because it was started by a priest, we had built a relationship with the Episcopal Bishop in Honduras. This was built in a town called Suatepeque in Honduras, central Honduras. And we had the bishop invited his peers from Guatemala and El Salvador. And so I got to see Ted, who is an organizational psychologist, work his systems with the bishop. And he kind of did some spiritual uplift, executive team building, and strategic visioning with them. So he was using his unique ability for the first time in front of me. And, you know, I've gone through a lot of personal growth over the last two and a half years, joined the John Maxwell team, strategic coach, reading a lot more personal growth stuff than I have been. And that really let me use my unique ability to optimize and customize what needed to happen. So I have an ability to know what needs to come next in a training and I have a, a large training background. So even though I'd never seen Ted use his unique ability, mine immediately kind of came up beside his and I was just optimizing the experience all around. And so at the end of this time together, we committed to 10 years of looking at root causes of irregular migration in Central America and trying to make those countries places where the people won't want to leave and they want to stay there with their families, which was the biggest problem for the bishops. And then Ted and I, when I asked him, I said, Ted, I would pay to see you do this, you know, in a corporate environment right? I'd love to see how you address corporate problems. And he said, come to my house. I'll show you all my programs. You tell me what you think. So I met him at his house a a month or two later, and he walked me through all of his programs and they're all amazing. But when I saw customer driven leadership, you know, one of my superpowers is I can break anything. 
You know, I know how to gum up the works. For good, for good. For good, <laughs> right. I only use that power for good. That is very important to me. I am definitely a servant. I have a servant heart. And so I want to make things better. I'm a maximizer, as we talked about earlier. And so I saw this system as self-correcting, self-healing. Mm-hmm. So if you're doing it right, it's not going to fail you. Mm-hmm. It's going to improve whatever you put the focus on as long as you're you know, treating your people right. Yeah, the system is amazing. And so I was like, let's do this. And so he said, be my co-author on the second edition at the time. We were calling it the second edition. But as I worked through it, Ted started this in the mid-90s. So it's got 27 years of history behind it. He has had you know, mind-blowing success in entrepreneurial organizations and traditional businesses and nonprofits and in, even in, in governmental bureaucracies. And so I was just really excited. And that's kind of how I got involved with customer-driven leadership. Awesome. Well, we're going to dive into that in just a moment. And just so people have context about what you do, what your others, you give a multitude of talents and you apply your talents in a multitude of ways. So what is your, what's your day-to-day right now? What are you doing? Yeah. So the new thing for me is I've been a consultant for the last three years and that's really been my business model. And so all the things that I learned in strategic coach about self-managing businesses, I kind of skipped a lot of that stuff because that wasn't really a concern of mine. And now all of those things that I learned are coming back into play as I build a business that can serve, you know, I don't want to serve two or three clients at a time with this. I know this can make organizations better. I know it can make its people happier and more fulfilled. I like win, 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 and as many more wins as we can tack on type solutions. And so that's my focus right now. I still do some cybersecurity consulting. I'm also very into entrepreneurial consulting. When somebody's building out kind of new capabilities, I love to come in and just be a fly on the wall. The nicest compliment I got from my last corporate manager was, after telling me I was really, really good at all the jobs that I was supposed to have, eventually ran out of things to say and he he realized it still wasn't enough. And he said, basically, Daniel, everything you touch gets better. What a great compliment. That was very meaningful to me. And I feel like that's the case. I want to make everything better, right? I'm I'm a maximizer. I have strategic vision. I see how to manipulate variables. So, you know, as somebody tells me, here's where I am and here's where I want to be, I just get a map of multiple ways they could make that happen. And I see, yeah, if you go this direction, you know, there's this risk that you're going to have to deal with. And if you go this direction, there's some additional opportunity hidden along this path if you slow down and incorporate it into your plan. So that's my dream job is come in, listen to where people are, where they want to go. You know, I'm not an implementer. I don't, you know, the less I do it, the less I have to physically do, but I I want to give them the recommendations and kind of highlight some of the risks that they're likely to pass. Yeah. And the map a little bit. And I'm just going to mention one more thing because I find it fascinating. You also have your army experience as an interrogation expert. Yeah. So I did 14 years in the army for active duty. I was in the 82nd Airborne Division, jumping out of airplanes, signals intelligence, uh, Spanish linguist. So that's where I started learning my Spanish. And then when I went into the reserves four years later and did 10 years in the reserves, changed over into interrogation and became an instructor. And I did that both in uh, combat deployment. I did that in the school. When I came back, I became a contract instructor and helped design an advanced interrogation and analysis course 
for the military. Cool. Wow. I love it. It's always fun to see how people's unique abilities come out in a myriad of ways. And as you develop and building out those scenarios is something you do now. So that's awesome. All right. So let's jump into your newest adventure, which is customer driven leadership and really bringing this to the fore and creating a self-managing company around it. So let's make a clear distinction. What is customer driven leadership compared to every other type of leadership that people think about? I would say all leadership effectively, right, is going to start at the top, right? And the things that I think are critical, which I was happy to see are part of customer-driven leadership, is what's the vision for the organization? How would you like to serve the world? Mm. Where are you going? And then the second piece of that is what are the values that are important? And I know I'm talking to the de facto expert in team dynamics here. If the people all share the same values and we're reminded of this is why we do it and this is how we serve the clients, I think that's a powerful, it brings us together, right? Mm -hmm. It brings teams together where you can call out somebody for doing something right because it doesn't align to what the company is trying to accomplish. And you can also gently correct them when they're not living up to the values of the organization. Mm -hmm. And I think strong expectations are one of the key components and one of the components of customer-driven leadership. Awesome. Really having success criteria, boundaries, really having that be very clear on who you are and who you're not allows people to go, yes, this makes sense, or no, I need to be elsewhere. If you're fuzzy on that, people are fuzzy on how to show up the best. So it makes so much sense to me. Yeah. So then the next component of customer-driven leadership is you've got to have the leadership buy-in because otherwise it's just lip service. I know we wouldn't be interested in working with disengaged leadership, right? If they're not going to be supportive of this, it's not going to be a good fit. Mm -hmm. But given that, you know, I think obviously a lot of people in strategic coach use EOS. Mm -hmm. So I've gotten a little bit familiar with that. And it seems like it's focused on not wasting people's time, focusing on the big rocks, the things that need to be accomplished. And the way CDL works, I see it as kind of the other side of the coin, right? The one way you can do that is optimizing time, but the other way you can do it is by empowering people. Yeah. With customer-driven leadership, we like to start with a team or an organization that's invested in high-performing teams. Mm -hmm. So you've already coached up the people, You've coached up the teams so they're using Colby or you're using Strength Finders or DISC or some other way where you have a deeper understanding of each other's strengths. You're not treating everybody like a cog that's all the same, yes. right? That's one of the best parts of this. And then when you've kind of built out the people and the teams, customer-driven leadership organizes the teams into what we call a value chain. So team A serves team B, which serves team C, which serves the external client. Sorry, you had a question? That's really interesting. I want to learn more about the value chain. That's fascinating. Yeah. And then what you do is, let's say there's a team D, maybe that's HR or something like that, that serves all the teams, right? And so what you do in that value chain is you ask team B, what do you need from team A to maximize your success? Mm -hmm. And so then that becomes a measurable for team A. You know, it's a negotiation, right? How can I, as a member of team A, deliver better for you, team B, because effectively you're my customer? No, this is so great because the customers you're talking about are not all external. Correct. They're internal. So light bulbs 
I'm sure it's ever going on for everybody. Yeah, yeah, I know. And then the fun parts are, you know, you start off just measuring one thing. And as you measure it, it gets better and better and better. And then the other part of customer-driven leadership is as you're improving the entire value chain, right? Because it's the weakest link type scenario, right? And just because, let's say, team C isn't delivering well enough for the client, it doesn't necessarily mean the problem is in team C, right? They might not be getting what they need from team B, which might not be getting what it needs from team A. And so what we do is we assess every month and we map out how successful were you at improving in what was important. Mm -hmm. And then as you get more comfortable with the system, you add, okay, what's the second most important thing and the third most important thing? And you can weight them. You know, A is way more important than B. And so you can tweak that. But you can also add KPIs in there, right? How can we improve the efficiency of how well we serve the next team in the value chain? Well, what I really like about this is so many times for internal people, it's tough to have measurables. It's tough to have standards and scores by which you do it. But this is where things like timeliness or quality of information, quantity of information, you could measure that. You know, I think about our production team who works with marketing, which I'm involved with. Do we get stuff to production in, you know, with enough lead time so they've got time to do their job properly, right? Like that's probably exactly what you're talking about. How can we improve that? And the other thing that comes to mind is I talk a lot about unique ability relay. So that's often within a team, but you're talking about it between teams. So the metaphor is a relay race. Now, two things I understand about a relay race, never having run track in my life, let's be very clear, <laughs> is that if you have a relay race, two things are really important. Have the right person in the right position in the race or the right team in place and don't drop the damn ton. Right. Right? So that's kind of what you're talking about. How can you have a really effective handoff between teams? And are you passing the right thing in the right time frame with the right information, all the success criteria to make that teamwork successful? So this is good. Yep. Yep. And you're 100% right. It has to be hard measurables, right? Whatever it is they need, you've got to boil it down to it's not subjective. They did it or they didn't do it. And their score is on a scale, right? So ideally, the scale we, we most often use is 0 to 10. So we have that broken down into 0, 2.55, 7.5, and 10. And the way that works is whatever they're doing when they start, that's your 2.5 level. So there's plenty of room to grow. Yeah. The other piece of customer-driven leadership is you pay incentives for people's success. Mm-hmm. So instead of like... I used to work in corporate America. And so a couple of things that I really did not like is you can have a team full of dragon slayers, right? Who are crushing every single day of their life, you know, putting in whatever it takes to do whatever's needed. I was on a team like that. And at the time there were three of us. And as good as we were, we got two gold stars to give away. And so somebody is going to get the short end of the stick. It doesn't matter, you know, oh gosh, this guy only slayed seven dragons, <laughs> right? <laughs> so it's like you feel less than in a system like that. The way customer-driven leadership is, we get scored as a team. Mm-hmm. So 70% of our score is the same for us and for our leader. So we're all working for the same thing. Now, the other thing is, instead of the leader giving you some subjective, 
Sure, you both slayed seven dragons, but Daniel's not going to get the gold star this year. There's a lot of subjectivity to the leader's decisions, right? But in this case, it's not subjective. So we have the ability to grade each other, to keep each other accountable, right? So, hey, Daniel's slacking off too much. I'm only going to give him, you know, and he's slacking off in these ways. Right. He's not living up to our values in this particular way, and he's not living up to our deliverables in this particular way, so that I have feedback that can grow me and make me better. I want to pause there for a second, because first of all, there's a mindset that's required to implement customer-driven leadership. And one of those mindsets is being okay with accountability, right? Customer-driven leadership solves some problems, right? There's some very specific team issues, subjectivity being one of them, lack of tracking is another, lack of alignment with values would be a third. (laughs) So it solves a lot of those problems, but there has to be a mindset, consciousness, whatever, term you want, attitude, you want to put on it that to be in this system, you have to be willing to be held accountable personally and as a team. (laughs) Any company that's been around for more than three years, you're going to run into this. You're going to run into people who get comfortable, what have you, were there at the very, very beginning, they think they've got special treatment, whatever the mindset is, or they just, for whatever reason, maybe their own circumstances, keep them from growing. I'm all about accountability this week, just to let you know. So I'm really, more than this week, truth be told, (laughs) but I really love this. But people have to be willing to be held accountable, especially the leadership, because if they're not, this whole thing goes bye-bye. Well, you're gonna love this because the leaders have deliverables to their team. Yes, yes. So the leader's score is based on how well the team does, and the 30% is how well they delivered what they promised to the team. So what we want is every team to become an entrepreneurial problem-solving organization in and of itself. So that means the job of the leader is to give them what they need to be successful. Mm -hmm. We create a thing called a playing field. So if you have an employee that doesn't know the expectations of their role, they're just going to do what their role is. And they're not going to do any outside the box thinking or anything like that. Right? They're just going to do what they're told. But with customer driven leadership, you help the team understand what the expectations are. And then you encourage them to share information that's going to improve that stuff. And you're going to take some chances. You're going to roll the dice, right? Because innovation doesn't always lead to a home run every time, right? So you got to be willing to try things. And so the leader has to let them have the room to grow and try things within that playing field. So, you know, some of the limits of the playing field would be our values, right? We're not going to break our values to deliver something. We're not going to, you know, break any laws or regulations. You know, obviously that's pretty important too. We're not going to break the budget, right? You can't spend a hundred million dollars to solve this $25 problem, (laughs) you know, but once you've created that comfort zone, you let the people have the freedom to move within that field right up to the boundaries, right? And then they know I need help if I need to keep moving in this direction. Well, I love calling it a playing field because literally the word play is in there, right? right? Which is the opposite of fear-driven. It's just mean there's like, okay, room to play. So you need players, right? So people are engaged, active, committed, all the things, striving. So there's that, it's cool. There's a field, so there is a boundary around it. Also very important, it's like, I always tell this to entrepreneurs, it's like, you know, if you have no boundaries, if you've got no targets, it's a little bit like playing pinball with no sides. Right. Where's the ball go? On the floor, right? So that's such a great 
metaphor, analogy, whatever that is, to describe it. And then people know they can play full out during the game. Business, to some extent, is a game. I think it's one of the best ones in the world because I don't know of any other avenue type of organization that allows you to learn and grow personally while you're growing professionally. And the two are not distinct in my world because you get the feedback so immediately as to whether or not what you're doing is working. Yeah. And the other thing is that it encourages cooperation, right? So on my team, for example, there may be a task that nobody likes to do. And guess what? If it has to be done, we're going to work it out. You know, I'll do it on Monday. Somebody else can do it on the rest, you know, or maybe it falls within my unique ability. And then it's like, you know what? I'll take care of this for everyone. Yes. So then, you know, not everybody is created the same. And so the more we're working within our gifts and talents, the stuff that fulfills us in life, the happier we're going to be. And that's one thing that I think the world, you know, with this great resignation, you know, people want meaning at work now. It's not just enough to give them a paycheck and a job. Also, I see, you know, we're having a new generation enter the workforce and some of the older generation are leaving early because they're tired of playing to this, the new rules, right? And so Mm -hmm. one of these things is you're going to find is a good culture fit for me to be in this organization. One of the things that really, as I did my, you know, fact finder seven. So as I did my due diligence on customer driven leadership, I interviewed Ted's first client. This guy is unbelievably busy. He gave me three and a half hours because it was this important to him to get this out into the world. And the thing that really floored me, Shannon, is he said, you know, I got 300 employees and for a 20 year period, I had five people quit to go work someplace else. It's just like, that's fine. In 20 20 years? years. That retention rate's insane. Insane. Uh, But they're a family. When people die, they come and celebrate the life of the person as a family, you know? And that just (laughs) blows my mind, right? I can't, I mean, and then obviously you've got to have room to grow. And there's profit sharing, right? I mean, that's part of the thing, right? Instead of getting a bonus that's arbitrarily determined by somebody by, well, how much do I want to throw at team A and team B? The whole system's pre-negotiated and you're getting paid monthly or quarterly instead of, you know, waiting the whole year for a bonus. There's a multiple ways that you can adjust that so that it works within the organization's culture. Because let's say, for example, maybe in nonprofit, you're paying those incentives with FaceTime with leadership or the ability to go out on projects you care about. Yeah serve the community in some way, get some volunteer time that's paid. You know, there's a lot of different ways that you can make these incentives speak to the people in your culture. Right. So it doesn't always just have to be hard cash. It can be other like time off or time to do certain key things. I love that. Well, you mentioned a couple of stories. So let's tell some stories of companies who've done this. It sounds like, and it's great because you actually have some tools like organizational readiness, self-assessment. We'll talk about that towards the end. Yep. It's awesome to have that because you, again, there's a mindset, there's a readiness factor. But let's talk about some organizations who have implemented this. I know you've got some wicked success stories. So what are some of the ones that are near and dear to your heart? Which ones have really touched you? Yeah. So having come from the military, having worked in you know government organizations and contracting companies, one of the things that really blew me away was uh, Ted went into the Postal Service, U.S. Postal Service. I know you're Canadian. You may not have heard, but it has a bit of a reputation. We have a Canadian one that's one of the most bureaucratic organizations on the planet. Yeah. So 
this branch, whatever it was, was the worst performing branch, regional branch within the system. And he went in there and he installed customer-driven leadership. They did it the right way. And so this is one of the things where, you know, you talked about the accountability part, right? So the hierarchy of the organization is flipped upside down. So basically the CEO or the head of the organization is at the bottom of the chart and everybody above you are people you're serving and you're evaluated by everyone above you. So, yeah, so it takes some brave leadership to do this because you're going to get feedback. But the good thing is if you take the feedback, you're only going to be graded against what you've agreed to be graded against. And then when you improve, you're not just checking a box that you're also invested in this system. So going into this postal region, within less than a year, they were crushing all of the other regions to the point where Ted got invited to go and talk to the Postmaster General of the United States. He walked in there and the Postmaster General looked at the numbers and said, I don't believe your data. Use his numbers. I love that story. I just deny reality over except you might have made a difference. You made those up because that's not possible. Yeah, exactly. And so Ted goes, you're the problem. And he walked out. No. (laughs) That person is never going to embrace this, right? Wow. But maybe I think somebody at that table was moved and they reached out and said, hey, I also want help. I'm willing to go in. And so, you know, the stories like that are really amazing. Some of Ted's clients, you know, all of it was covered under NDA. So I I didn't talk a lot with his NDA protected clients. But, you know, I know that he goes out and travels the world, you know, on their private jets. And he's become part of their success. Yeah. Truly, I think that's where Ted and my heart is, is we know that it can do anything. What's important to you, right? It's whatever is important to the organization and what you measure is going to get better and better and better. I love it. Yeah. So it's like, can it do X? Yeah, it can do X, right? You just got to find the metric for it. You've got to give the incentives. And one of the other things I like is, you know, it's about the creativity of the team because I've been in places where I had an idea, you know, oh, I know how we can serve 10 times as many companies in a year. You know, some parts of the organization was the situation I was in and my leadership wasn't interested. They're like, nah. Yeah. It's like, why not? Why wouldn't we do this? Right. But another situation there is maybe I have an idea of, wow, if we could just do this, uh, but I don't know how to do that. So I don't share that. Right. Mm -hmm. But if I do share it, maybe somebody else knows how to implement it. Right. And so it's by sharing those ideas and then by you're measuring every month and then you're looking at the data and somewhere on that org chart that's implemented CDL, there's a team that's struggling the most. And so you go to that team All of the thinkers in the organization come to that team, not to scorn them and tell them they're the worst, right? But go, how can we help you do better? Where are you struggling, right? Maybe you need new equipment. Maybe you need, you know, three more people on your team. But let's all look at how can we make this, you know, get better? So all of your best minds are constantly improving wherever your organization is struggling the most. I love those examples, especially... (laughs) bureaucracies that can transform is like the most amazing stories ever. But in terms of people who are listening today, it's going to be an entrepreneurial audience. And that's also your experience where you live. That's the world you live in. Right. So what's really interesting to me is this is great because it takes the company out of the 
in terms of an entrepreneurial company's growth, it transcends the personality of the founder, of the leader. It allows for longevity. I'm not going to use the word legacy because longevity has a bit more meaning for some people. And it means that it's now based on your core values and your principles and it can free you up to have a much more self-managing company. This is a whole strategy for how to get to a self-managing company by tapping into, I love how you say constant creativity, and it's based on data. So if anyone's a fact finder, or even me, I was talking with our marketing team this morning, it's like, do I have an opinion about colors and thumbnails and all this? Heck yes, do I ever, right? But that's nice. I actually would like to be wrong and I'd like the data to prove me right or prove whatever works, if that makes sense. And so to have a data-driven system, which is a rarity in entrepreneurial companies, to my mind is one of the big appealing factors of CDL. Yeah, so all of that, yes, I'm all for that, right? Imagine values weren't just something you put up on a wall right? Imagine if they were in the hearts of your people. And as to your specific giftedness, think about it this way. The team is scored by how well the team delivers. So when you're adding a new team member to a team, what's most important is how well the team feels like this is the right person to join us on our journey of doing better in Uh in our space, right? Because they're not going to necessarily roll the dice on somebody who's not a good fit, right? They're going to look at that person like, hey, are they going to be able to keep up with what we're doing? Keep up, keep the scores high, make our scores better, go from 2.5 to 5 to 7.5 to 10. You know, that's the question you're going to answer. And so that raises the bar for sure. Right. And so you really, ideally, you want your teams picking their people and obviously, you know, support them with Colby scores and empower them to make good decisions, right decisions. But again, if it's not going to be a good fit, then, you know, the team should be going, I don't know about this. I'm not comfortable with them coming in and all of a sudden disrupting what the harmony we have, right? Yeah. Let's talk about that a moment from the team member side. So when you are a team in a company who's you know, running with a CDL system, customer-driven leadership system, it's a higher level of operating. I presume you need to bring your whole self to work, not just your head, but also your heart and your gut, yep. so you're striving. And it will call forth a different quality of human being. And I think to your point earlier, that's what people are looking for. You know, the great resignation has been from jobs that were kind of crappy and they weren't really cared about as a human being and they weren't really tapped into for their talents. And so this actually, if you're looking for, oh my gosh, where are all the good people? (laughs) You know, operating according to these principles and along the structure can actually be a massive attractor because it's so much more satisfying and fulfilling for the right fit people, I will say, for them to be working in an organization that operates this way. Again, completely agree with you. I think, imagine the right fit people seeking your company out because the people who are working there are talking about it. Being a guy who changes what he does every three years or so, (laughs) at least until I found customer driven leadership, it's an opportunity. You know, I have people all over the world doing all sorts of things. And I know if I needed somebody who did marketing, you know, I want to bring in the best people because that's we're winning. Another quick story is the guy who's currently running CDL and has been for the last 27 years. He said, 
all of my other competitors are publicly traded companies. And so I know I can calculate, you know, what their efficiency is. And I know my sales team is four times as efficient as their salespeople. So, you know, I mean, that's the kind of thing where when you're empowered and think about it, if you've got, let's say a call center of 10 people who are salespeople, maybe you're going to be more effective if you have one person handling or maybe two people handling some of the administration function so that the really good salespeople can just get on the phone Mm -hmm. and connect with clients. So you look for ways to optimize. And just like you said, it's maybe Daniel's a good salesperson, but maybe that's not his unique ability. And maybe if we could find the spot where Daniel's really, I mean, my thing is, I never want to run out of problems, Shannon. That's my only fear in life is that I might run out of problems in the world. And so I live pretty fearlessly. I was going to say, I don't think there's any shortage of those because as soon as we solve one problem, then there's another one that pops up that hopefully is more interesting and more challenging and brings forth our creativity. But yeah, human beings have a very unique ability as a race to come up with new and better, bigger challenges. Yeah, we're (laughs) definitely in the problem generation business as a race. 100%, 100%. (laughs) If things get too easy, don't worry. (laughs) Yeah, just enjoy it today because it'll change. So before we tell people how to access some of your amazing tools in the book and all the amazing resources that you have, how do people know whether or not they're ready or how hard or easy is this to implement? And I mean, I'm super attracted by the monthly deal, the incentivizing people for the right things. How hard is it to figure out coming up with those things that they're being measured against? What are some implementation tips? Because you said implement the right way. You've said that a couple of times. Right. And I do know your print yeah. <laughs> as well. But I imagine there's some wrong ways to do it too, which is undoubtedly paying lip service to it because nothing ever works that way. Right. But what are a few do's or don'ts when people are looking at the system? Yeah. So I think the first thing I would say is you need to be investing in your people, yep. right? Give them the training to help them grow and focus on increasing their awareness I didn't mention this before, but I also do inner healing ministry work. So kind of dealing with those limiting beliefs or where people feel more actualized, right? And then the next part is, okay, now we've got a bunch of actualized people. Let's teach them how to relate to each other and realize how to work together in an elevated way. So to that end, Ted has created the CDL High Performing Teams Readiness Assessment. Mm-hmm. We have kind of a taster on that where if somebody wants to see kind of what we're grading on, they can go in and it's a free assessment, but it's basically the leadership is going to best guess their organization. They're swagging it, right? And so it's only as good as your level of awareness as to how well the team is. So right. let me say probably not worth the paper printed on, but it will show you the categories that we think are important for delivering customer-driven leadership. And then we have a paid assessment. It's a year long. So when you purchase it, you have it for a year. You can reassess teams every three weeks. Our recommendation is quarterly unless you do some training. So it's really good to do an assessment, do some training that should improve that assessment, and then let the training kind of seep in a little bit and reassess, right? Did we improve the commitment level of the team through that training? And I think what's really interesting is I'm partnering with coaches. You know, I some John Maxwell certified 
speaker, trainer, coach. So it is a gold mine to the leadership of an organization to know this is the team that's struggling the most. This is a team where the leadership thinks everything is perfect. But if you ask the team members, it's a dumpster fire, right? There's a disconnect between the leader's opinion and the people's opinion. And so it tracks those things and helps bring in the right tools and the right training to close that gap. So that was part of the first generation of CDL. Ted would take them from wherever they were all the way through. But now we're at a point where we would like to partner with other coaches who are already working. They've already done the work in organizations. You know, they can come to us and we can either use this to show where the organization still needs help, or we can go, wow, you've already taken care of all the things You've got this to show leadership that shows you have gotten them to all high-performing teams, and you're a great candidate for customer-driven leadership, having done all that. Yeah. So those are two of the tools that we have. It's a great tool for the coach, too, because the coach can go in there and say, look, we've assessed everyone in your organization, and it doesn't matter if the organization is 20 people or you know 100,000 people you can assess everyone with this tool. Amazing. And then you know exactly which teams need what help. Oh, I love that. And that kind of diagnostic, I mean, it's one of those things that leadership is often hungry for because there's all the anecdotal stuff. And even as an entrepreneurial company, you think you know, but now so many of us are remote or at least partially remote or 100% remote. And how are people doing really is one of the key questions. And employee surveys only go so far. So I think this is a powerful instrument to be able to find that stuff out. So if people want to learn more, what do they do? How do they track you down? How do they track down the book on all the resources? Yep. So customerdrivenleadership.co is our website. Okay. And you can connect with Ted and I on LinkedIn. If you have any questions, I'm more of the managing partner, but I'll bring Ted in if we need him. So that's a great way. Daniel at customerdrivenleadership.co if you need to send me an email. Again, if you connect with us on LinkedIn, let us know it's about customer-driven leadership or strategic coach in my case, so that I don't look at you and go, who are you? (laughs) And if they want to purchase the book, where do they go? Yeah, Amazon in your country. It is all over in Amazon. I'm finishing the audio book, so I imagine if it's not out yet, it will be very shortly. And then we have an implementation guidebook that's coming out if there's organizations that want to take a shot at Mm self-implementing. If it doesn't go well, we're there to support you as well. So it is a complicated system, Shannon. I really screened my implementers to show, you know, they've got that project management, they've got that executive ability to work with executive teams to help find all the right things. You know, finding the right metrics, if you're not measuring the right things, it's not going to improve in the right way, right? So that's super important. But again, you know, a lot of entrepreneurial people may already have that stuff in-house if they're big enough. And certainly all of that goes into consideration and in the right fit for pricing. And we want you to be successful. I mean, it's not our goal to be your lifelong implementers. It's our goal to get it up and running for you and then be available to take a look at you, you know, quarterly. Are you tweaking the things the right amount in the right way? Are you ready to add some new metrics to tighten up new things? So again, Our goal is to help organizations really do new and powerful things through the investment in their people and Mm -hmm. that that faith, it's ownership, right? Give them the ownership of the things. I think that's one of the things that leads to the great resignation, right? It's just a job. 
It's just a job, Shannon. Yeah. Nobody wants to work just a job. No. You know, you want something where it's like, oh, man, I get to go to work and do what I was created to do to serve others and to make the world a better place. Those are the people we want to work with. I love that. And I get to versus I have to is such a profound one word change, but as a world of meaning and difference. And I think the entrepreneurial companies have the advantage in that realm. I think big corporations have been around for a long time. They go through people, but there's something about that entrepreneurial spirit and drive and passion. It involves not just head, but also hearts and guts or hands, as my friend Alex said. You know, so that's really key. So I think entrepreneurial companies actually have an advantage. And as you get to a certain ceiling of complexity, you know, customer-driven leadership and the mindset, the thinking, the incentives, the measuring could be the next step. So I love it. Daniel, thank you so much. This has been incredibly insightful and I'm delighted to learn more about customer-driven leadership. Thank you so much. Yeah, if I could just one last thing, Shannon, all of that really inspired me. And Ted and I are entrepreneurs at heart, you know, so we will meet you where you are. You know, if traditional businesses get stuck, you know, they get to a level of growth and they plateau. Yeah. We'll work with you and we'll be invested in your success. You know, if there's a pricing model where, hey, let us show that we're going to get you unstuck and growing. And of course, entrepreneurs usually like those types of arrangements too, right? 100%. So, yeah. Oh, I love it. Thank you. Daniel, this is very exciting. Again, thanks so much for sharing this with us. Appreciate you, Shannon. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.